Hello, joining me this week is Brooke Meyer. She is a yogi. She is also a fitness instructor. She offers all kinds of great tips and ideas for workouts and yoga on her Instagram feed. She's a mama of two, lives in Hawaii. She also shares a very candid and vulnerable story about her struggles with an eating disorder. So I wanted to make sure that any of you who might feel triggered by that kind of a conversation know before the conversation starts so that you can make sure that you don't listen to this particular episode. I so appreciate her honesty, her candidness, and her very soft and her very vulnerable share of what she went through on her own journey with an eating disorder and moving through and how the inspiration that she found to move through that and beyond that was all around her son. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I want to give a shout out to her husband for taking their daughter out of the house so that we could have uninterrupted time for our conversation. I hope you enjoy it and thank you for listening. Stories. We all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks. And I'd like to know, what's your story? Good morning, and thank you for joining me this morning for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast that is all about women, their stories, their lives, things that matter to them, things that make them laugh, things that make them sad, things that make them happy, and everything that confuses us and sometimes makes us angry, because it's okay for women to get angry too. This morning, I have a guest coming from the sunny, fabulous state of Hawaii, which is very near and dear to my heart. Brooke joins me this morning to tell us about her life. And just so you have a little background on Brooke, she is a yogi. She's also a fitness trainer. She's a mama of two, and she has a great sense of humor that I see in her posts often on Instagram. So if you're not following her, go out and take a look. She's got some great workouts for you as well. Always impressed with the ways that she is trying to further her strength, her capacity, her resilience through her yoga practice and fitness in general. So good morning, Brooke. Thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning, and thanks for having me, Sherry. So would you just let everybody know a little bit more about you than um, the little blurb that I just did? I'm sure that there is plenty because you are a multifaceted woman. So let us know what you got. (laughs) Where do I even begin? (laughs) Wherever Um, you'd like. I guess I kind of will just take you through the journey. I'm originally from Sarasota, Florida, kind of as the basics. I grew up... In a, with just my mom and my sisters pretty much our entire life. She was a single mom, a hardworking mom. Let us still do fitness and sports of our choice. I grew up doing swimming and quit for gymnastics. And even though you know how expensive stuff is, she made it work. And that's something that I kind of take with me wherever I go is the fact that she motivated us to be passionate about fitness. And I, let's see, I went to college in West Palm Beach and that's kind of where I started my therapy, psychology background. But that took a big turn in my master's program and I pretty much 
lost my mind, lost everything. It was so stressful. And (laughs) I walked away from it. I did. I walked away. I moved to Hawaii and packed my stuff and just said, I'm ready for something different. I had no idea what I was going to do, except for I had a sister that lived in Hawaii, just had a baby. And I said, okay, I'll go take care of her baby. I can do that. (laughs) Um, How long ago was that, Brooke? 13, 13 years ago. Okay. So I have been on the big island of Hawaii now 13 years. Yeah, I just kind of, a. am not a, I mean, I'm just kind of a plain person. I don't have real exciting stuff. I'm simple. I like simplicity. I, but I like spontaneity too. You know, I like new things to come into my world and I don't really know what it's going to be. Oh my goodness. I don't even know. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like my life has been here now. I, it's almost like I left Florida and I left a lot of family members there, which I still connect with, but it's very, that's the hardest part is being so far away. And now that I have children, they don't get to see my mom and my stepdad. They don't get to see my cousins and my sister that lives back home and sisters. I have stepsisters too. So yeah. Cause Florida is, is a long trip away from Hawaii. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's definitely two flights. Um, and it's just a lot of hours sitting on a plane. <laughs> so. Yes. We don't go home. um, We don't go home very often. My parents come to us more than we go there. Yeah. The last I've been home was maybe, um, I think like two years ago now. I have spent a lot of time in Hawaii on on Oahu, actually, more so than than any of the other islands. I've been to Kauai and Maui. I don't think I've been to the big island. I can't remember. But it's one of those places for me that when I get off the airplane, my whole body just relaxes and my body just says, I'm home. Yeah. Oh, and is definitely home. Yeah. It's it's got there's something there that is so incredible. It makes it really hard. And for me, I I would I live on an island now, although I have the option to be able to drive off or take a ferry off the island. But I look at that and I think, gosh, I'd really love to live there. But the issue for me is that, you know, I've got my daughter here, my granddaughter is here, my folks are here and they're getting older. And it's like, makes it really difficult for me to think about moving that far away someplace where I can't just get in my car and drive if I need to, to be there there. So maybe someday. Yeah. (laughs) That's always my dream. Maybe someday. (laughs) A lot of people end up leaving. They say, give it three years and you either leave or you stay. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest issues is you can't just pack up your car and go. Right. (laughs) Right. You go in a circle (laughs) and then you're back home again. (laughs) And that takes a couple hours. And Yeah. It's very hard because my partner, he is from Wisconsin and he's like used to camping, traveling, going everywhere. And I'm, I'm really shocked. He's still here 13 years later as well. We met here. He doesn't even go to the beach. I'm like at the beach all the time. Oh my God. Yeah, He's not a beach person. He's, he's, he loves the snow. He loves, you know, like mountain biking. We're so completely opposite. It's hilarious. He, yeah, I'm, I'm just really shocked. He still is in Hawaii 13 years later. <laughs> he, this is just not his element, but he does really well. I mean, he does well, he makes it work and you know, but it's, it's just so funny. It's so, so funny. Cause well, I, let's go. <laughs> let's go. I didn't realize that you had such a great fitness background. That's very similar to, you know, what I did. And, and you mentioned a really good point that athletics and being able to compete in those things as children in school is expensive and it's gotten more expensive over the years from you know where either you or I were when we were in school and those sorts of things happened 
I was sort of the kind of the first round of girls in the Title IX era. Okay. And so we, you know, they gave us some things like I started playing softball at six, but our fields look like shit compared to what the boys got <laughs> for the baseball, right? I mean, we were, right, playing, always. We, we were playing with the weeds and, and the whole thing. So, you know, very different environment from what my daughter ended up having, although the fields were not much better, but there was a lot more quality in terms of instruction and capacity to be able to play on a travel team, which is, of course, even more money. But I look at things like that and I think about the amount of children that don't get to participate in athletics because of the cost, because it's prohibitive to their family, or they just don't have the experience that you had with your mom who made it such a priority for you to think about fitness and enjoy fitness and have it be a part of your life and how important it is still at this particular point in time in your life. So what do you what do you kind of think about that? And what are ways that makes it easy? I mean, I'm kind of tapping into what you're doing with your Instagram, because I think that those things that you're doing that you're posting those videos are so incredibly helpful. And they're quick little bites that people can do, you know, if they've got 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever it is. So how do we translate that, which is great for adults, but how do you translate that sort of situation to a kid, do you think? Well, part of the Instagram thing is, and I've had people ask me, why are you doing that for free? You know, I get that all the time is, why are you putting all your workouts on there and not asking somebody to charge you? And I said, you know, part of it is because who can afford these workouts today? You know what I mean? And it's like, even for a membership to some of the online apps and stuff, a lot of people don't have an extra pocket full for those. And with the fitness, I love it. I just, I want to share it and I'm not looking for the money in the return. Now, obviously we need to make a living and stuff, but that's not my living Instagram. It's just, it's fun. It's fun to connect with people. It's fun to connect with other fitness and non-fitness. You just learn so much about different people all around the world that I'll probably never meet a day in my life. Have you met anybody from Instagram in person yet that you've met? Yeah, well, I have because, um, and you probably know, I think you just did an interview with Lee. And yes, yep, because she owns a home here in Hawaii and I met her. She used to come to a couple of my yoga classes um, when she was here. And then Coral, I know Coral, we've met because she owns a home here too, part-time Idaho and part-time here. And then I've met Tara. Yeah, I've met a few. I've met a couple uh, real live. And then of course the ones that I know from here that live in Hawaii with me anyways. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard because I, uh, will make plans with people and like, we want to get together and like, Oh, let's do an Insta meetup and pictures. But then I get slapped with my reality. I have a two year old and I don't have babysitters. I can't, that's the part is I can't just pay a babysitter so I can go take free photos. You know what I mean? Right. And that's kind of hard as much as I want to. I mean, I would love to be doing all these beautiful photos and get out on the ocean all the time. But I'm like, realistically, my two-year-old is with me all the time. She's not in daycare. She's not in any kind of preschool yet. And if I was out on the ocean doing photos, she'd probably run into the water. So (laughs) not a very smart choice for me. And uh, I don't think dad would be too happy with me if I was. 
probably prioritizing Instagram over my family. <laughs> so well, my my granddaughter is two and a half. She turns okay. three in November. So you know, I I take care of her every Wednesday and usually most Saturdays, so that both of my kids work and we as a family, everybody pooled their time together to make sure that she doesn't have to go to daycare. So that mm -hmm. every day that the kids are at work that she's she's taken care of by somebody in her family who loves her on the yes, Saturday thing. That. And the Saturday thing just kind of came out of, I would say, you know, do you kids need me this Saturday? And they have season soccer tickets. My son-in-law is a huge soccer nut and they've had season Sounders tickets since the very beginning. And so I go and spend time with her and it's some, those are the best times in my week. She is a riot. <laughs> And I, you know, my daughter is my only child. So it's been 33 years since she was a baby. And it's really great to not be a parent, but to be involved in helping to raise a tiny human again. Yeah. And to get to spend time with her. I have so much different priorities in my life now than I did when I was raising my daughter. And I'm in a much better and different space than I was then. So it's so much fun to get to just enjoy that time. But boy, you forget, I forget how crazy they are and just how so crazy. <laughs> determined and headstrong. And you know, these are, these are the times right now, every time I see her, her vocabulary gets a little bit bigger. Her remembering of things gets bigger. She's now understanding the days of the week. And when I say, I'll see you on Saturday, that's three days from now mm -hmm. she can remember that and she knows who she sees on what day it, it just blows my mind it does so mine too it and and she's busy and she wants my attention and she she again too loves my phone she's all about she likes to watch the old videos and pictures i've taken of her she loves to do snappy chat and while i try to do some of that so that we have fun together with it i try to keep the screen away from her so that we focus on just doing stuff being in the moment and yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and so I would imagine, I mean, you have two children, not just one, but two. So. I have two. They have a big gap, though. So my son, Whistler, he's nine. Okay. And then Hudson is two. She'll be three in December. So they have a pretty big gap. And she <laughs> she dominates him. <laughs> Chase, it, it's horrible sometimes. I mean, he just begs us to lock his door because she wants to be everywhere he is. She wants to do everything she's like just on him constantly and so we're trying to find a boundary with that and give him his space and he's so good to her i mean if it's just amazing and some days she runs him wild i mean it's horrible <laughs> she's like more active and and like i mean i used to be able to go to the beach do some yoga and my son would just sit there and play i cannot do that with her she is all over the place and just a completely different child than he ever was it's I never would have known. And I'm so thankful I had him first because I would have never had another one if I had her. She is so just spunky wild. I can't keep up some days. My head is like, I, thank God for yoga and my quiet time. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'd be a complete mess. <laughs> Well, and I know when we were working to schedule this interview that we were trying to work around, you know, school time for your son. 
Yep. <laughs> and making sure that you had somewhere for Hudson to be so that we could do the interview with that. Not that it wouldn't be cute to have her on, but I would imagine that she would not let you be able to focus at all. I mean, it's just, you have no, to focus yeah. on, on those, on your children. I mean, especially someone like that who is energetic and they're curious and they're inquisitive and they don't know what boundaries are yet. So they're just all over the place. I mean, all you over. Know. she would have already been on my lap trying to type on this computer <laughs> and I would have had to tell her no, I would have had to been like, I'll be right back. Um, you know, I mean, we have Peppa Pig. And so like you said, the screen time, I don't really want to put her in front of it so much, but I tell yeah. you, turn on Peppa Pig. And that can give me, that might've gotten me through this whole session and this conversation, <laughs> but, but then she'd hear me laughing and she'd want to be a part of it. I know she would have, she would have ran out here and, or she would have told me she's hungry or has to go poop or you know, something. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So, but luckily daddy took her this morning to the park and that was a surprise for me. I didn't know he was going to do that. So. Oh, well, that's awesome. You'll yeah. have to thank him for, for me for doing that so that we will do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So tell, me, so tell me when you started your yoga practice. So my very first introduction to yoga was back in college, right down the street that I lived on with some of my roommates uh, was a Bikram studio. Okay. No idea what the heck Bikram was, but we yeah. just knew we wanted to try it sometime. All the girls that I lived with, uh, well, the majority were pretty into fitness to some level. We walked in. I'm in a wife beater t-shirt. If you guys remember what those are, those white tank tops that are sold in a pack of like five. <laughs> and I had black sweatpants on. Okay. So if you know Bikram, you don't wear sweatpants to a Bikram class. No. I had no idea. I walk in, we pay, we get into the class, we walk in, everybody's quiet, laying down on the floor, sweating, and we're just looking at each other. We want to die laughing. We don't. We lay down too, and literally within five minutes, I'm like just drenched in my own sweat. And I said, what are we getting ourselves into? But long story short of that class, I fell in love with yoga that moment. I love the sweat. I love the poses, but I couldn't afford it. So I only went back like one more time and that was it, I think. Never saw yoga again until 2006 when I moved to Hawaii. And I started taking every class at the gym which will backtrack. I, I had the eating disorder. So I think most people that follow me know that. And it was all about, I got to lose weight, got to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do that. So it wasn't a mentally healthy place that I was in. It was a very negative space, but it got me into yoga. It got me into other fitness classes. And in by, so I moved here in July, by October, I was taking a yoga teacher training out here at um, our Shambhava that we have our ashram and something switched with me. It was the breathing, like almost instantaneously. I laid down for one of these classes at the local gym and I was sitting there thinking, yes, I'm gonna lose weight. We're gonna get a hardcore workout. No, it slapped me in my face and it said, you're only gonna sit here and you're gonna breathe and you're gonna learn to breathe. And I kept questioning what is, I know how to breathe. We all know how to breathe. You do yoga. You know what that means. Learn the intention. It's the intention behind it. Exactly. And yeah. yeah, so those were the moments that took me from it's more than 
it's not about losing weight anymore. It was about becoming healthy in my mind. And I just fell in love with it. I loved all the yoga instructors that I had taken from out here. Um, and I just kept craving it. Like I wanted more every single day. And granted, I only really had a, ba a short background of July to October. And I took this teacher training. And I know a lot of yogis have years in their experience before they do that. But I did it and uh, we learned, you know what it's like to take a training. It was a month long intensive training at the ashram. So I really felt like I was getting more than I got in the classes, learning how to work my own body and whether I was going to teach or not, at least I had this background. I had something right. I was looking forward to every day. Yeah. So did that. And that's kind of where the yoga started was maybe in West Palm. I took the one class, but when I got here, it did something to me that I wanted to take more. and. When you fall in love with it for other reasons besides losing weight and stuff or wanting to, you know, the crappy mental stuff, you just, you appreciate it in such a different light and it becomes such a big, huge, important part of your everyday, or at least it did mine. It's life-changing. I, yeah. yoga has changed my life. I mean, I have a 25-year practice. I've been teaching for 17. It's one of those things that, and as an ex-ballerina, I stepped onto my mat that first time and was like, I recognize this. I recognize it came from the dancer in me of, I recognize the body placement. I recognize the places where you are working to find balance and listening to your body and doing the things that I hadn't had in years since I stopped dancing. So that was the, the, the first draw for me. And then like you, I couldn't always afford it. So I did a lot of stuff on my own. In mm -hmm. fact, I found a book that was printed, I want to say probably in the seventies, maybe by a man named Richard Hittleman. And it was, um, 28 days of yoga and it was women in leotards and tights. And, <laughs> and each day you had a series of poses to do, and there was some words around it and some descriptions around it. And that's, that was my yoga practice for a very long time. And so it really tied back in for me to both my sports and my ballet of the dedication, the a space to be able to show up and, and be present in the moment and doing what you were doing and, and moving your body and, yeah. and that connection between moving your body and your breath and being able to just put, because I am riddled with anxiety a lot of the time, to be able to just set that aside and, and be in the moment. Let's go back to, you mentioned eating disorder. So when did that start for you? Um, physically when I was 16, but as I, as I've gotten older and I look back at my whole kind of life journey, I think it started earlier than that, kind of around six, um, maybe middle school. I just remember I was a gymnast. I don't remember hating mm. my body. I don't, I don't remember hating my body when I was a gymnast. Um, I remember we would go to Wendy's and eat French fries in between practice and, <laughs> and nobody said anything. You didn't sit there and hate yourself. Right. Um, but there's little spurts, like we would go to the beach and I remember sometimes I'd wear a t-shirt and use it as an excuse or a crutch as my sunscreen. And, but secretly I started to kind of notice this belly or what I thought was my belly and I kind of wanted to hide it. So I think though, a big standing point was when I was in middle school and I remembered I weighed myself. I was, I don't remember now what I weighed, but I think it was like 75 pounds or 78 pounds, something stupid. Okay. 
And I went to school and one of my best friends at the time, we were talking in the girl's bathroom and I told her how much I weighed and she was tall and she was thin and she went home and told her mom and came back to the school the next day. And she says to me, my mom says, there's no way you could weigh so-and-so pounds. I think it was, I don't remember exactly now. And I said, no, I really do. That is what I weigh. And she goes, no, my mom said, there's no way you could. And that was kind of the end of it. I don't know. I don't know if I took that as if I, I took it negatively. Like her mom thought I should have weighed more, but in hindsight, maybe her mom never meant it that way. Maybe she thought that was too big for me. I don't know. But anyways, I ran with it as, oh, I'm, you know, nobody believes me on how much I weigh. And then it started this mindset of, I didn't believe myself. And I started to trickle into, oh, maybe I'm fat. And that, that word came into my head. And once you say that once to yourself, it pretty much sticks with you um, or stuck with me for years and years and years. And then as I got into, I danced in high school, I quit gymnastics as I, cause I went to a um, visual performing arts high school. They had the opportunity to do dance theater and I chose dance. So I kind of transitioned from a gymnast into dancing and we had a change in front of everybody in the rooms. We had to wear tight little yeah. suits and I didn't like the way I looked at them. I always thought I looked fat and I became very good friends with another gal who was a bulimic. So we kind of, I don't even remember the first moment that we shared. We both had the same um, habit or whatever, but we became best friends. We became like partners in it. She'd go home, I'd go home and we'd come back the next day to school and we'd share how much we threw up or what we did or did not eat. And it just became a really nasty cycle. And that transitioned into, yeah, I, I guess though, I do remember being at, at the time, she was my stepsister at her house because my parent, my step, my dad and her mom had divorced by this point, but we still stayed friends. And I was 16. I went over to her house and I don't know why she asked me, but she's like, have you ever tried making yourself throw up? And I said, oh, no, uh-uh. But she's like, well, I, let's try it. So she went in the bathroom, said it didn't work for her. I went in and it worked for me. I don't remember what we ate. I don't remember the background behind that, but that was kind of starting point of doing the whole vomiting purging vomiting thing because i knew i could do it and, and then it gave, did it give you a sense of control huge that's the only thing i think i actually had control over because i could control what i ate and how much i threw it up yeah i think that's exactly what it did for me as a control and i didn't feel like i had control over anything else in my life at that point it just it just is a nasty cycle that becomes so consuming i couldn't think about anything else but that, that was my bubble. That was my world, you know, and you, and you're a liar. You become the greatest storyteller. Nobody has to know your secrets. You can hide it. Nobody knew mine for the longest time. And there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt Huge. and a, and a lot of self-persecution that happens with that. I did an interview with Aaron Gilmore who talked about having an eating disorder and mm -hmm. that yoga was the way that she pulled herself out of that pattern of life. And it's interesting, most of the people that I've talked to, and it's so odd because in all of those years, I started dancing ballet at four. I took from the same studio until I was 15 and we moved. And then I was a dance major in college. But in all of those years, I never, and you know, and I'm no little, I am not a traditional ballerina size body. I'm 5'11", 
I'm very muscular, very powerful. And I was tiny as a, as a younger person, but as I hit my teens and started to hit the growth spurt, I was taller than everybody else. Sure. And I played yeah. softball at the same time. And so, you know, muscles to me meant power. And so I loved that. Mm-hmm. But I, I only remember hearing a couple of times of someone saying, oh, you know, she must get really thin and willowy in the wintertime when she's dancing more. And I looked at my mom and I said, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> And my mom was like, don't worry about it, honey. But I don't remember anybody actually binging or purging, although I'm sure it happened because there was a bathroom in the dressing room in this one studio that I took at for all of those years. But as me, as myself and some of the girls that I took with, there were times when we would go to like this little cafe and get like French fries or mm-hmm. Sundays or, you know, whatever it was. And I just never, it never really equated with me of, I need to make myself look a certain way or be a certain way. I, I, that just didn't hit it for me. I saw so many little girls when I was young whose parents forced them to be there and they were miserable. They were miserable dancing. They were miserable. And I loved it. And I didn't understand that whole thing of not loving it. And I didn't understand why their parents would make them keep coming if they didn't love it, if they didn't want to be there. It wasn't cheap. (laughs) <laughs> to be there. Not that's you know. Sure. So, you know, um, you think about things like that. So I, those sorts of things really had an impact on me. And then, you know, some of those girls were so, so thin. I remember one girl that I danced with, and then we ended up at the University of Oregon together in the program. And at one point in time, all she was eating was carrots every day and her skin turned orange. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, and I look at, and those things, as I was growing up, they had a huge impact on me of understanding that these people were trying to fit into some sort of a mold that wasn't something that they chose, that it was something that either they felt compelled by a parent or a mentor or somebody that was in control or power over parts of their day. And I never understood that. I I never understood how an adult could do that to a child. Yeah. And I never understood other other kids being horrible and mean and saying things to other kids about what they looked like or what they wore or the food that they I mean all of I was I was always felt like I was an outlier anyway, but I was always like on the outside kind of looking in at this going, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why people do that to each other. Yeah, I never understood it either. It just, but I remember it. I remember some of the outfits I would wear and I felt like I didn't want to go to, I loved school, but I didn't want to go sometimes because of the clothes I would wear. And I remember being in high school and these guys in my science class said, because I always wear a ponytail still to this day, here I am 37. (laughs) And he said, the day you let your hair down, you're going to be so beautiful. I'm a senior in high school and he's telling me this. And he's like, if you just wore your hair down. And I said, oh, maybe one day. I, it's hot. It is fucking hot in Florida and it's hot in Hawaii. The last thing I really want to do is wear my hair down. Like I, I see girls running and going to the gym with their hair down. And I never understood that. I'm like, put your hair up. Come on. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, a, and a full face of makeup. 
in a full face of, oh, still, it, it's, it's <laughs> I won't judge. I got, I'm not supposed to be judging, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm just mentioning that, you know, that, but, it's that, so that, true. that but that is the, the, the programming that so yes. many women fall prey to is I can't go out in public unless my hair is, is perfect and it's long and it's this and my makeup looks just so and my clothes are just so and it's this that and the other thing my ex-husband said to me at one point in time he says he said cherry he said if you had to you would wear a garbage bag to go to the gym to work out (laughs) (laughs) he said he goes you don't let any of that stop you that's how much you love fitness and being active and doing all of that. He said, he said, you wear great clothes, but he said, if you had to wear a garbage bag, you'd wear a garbage bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But not but, in Florida. Uh, Nobody would have had a garbage bag. <laughs> no. Well, so, oh you, and I look at, and I look at things like that and it's not coming from a space of judgment, but it's coming from a space of this is what society mm-hmm. and advertising and marketing has created for women in their lives. If you don't look this way, if you don't wear your hair this way, if you don't wear your makeup this way, if you don't dress this certain way, then you are not viable. You are not important or you are not part of the tribe. And of course, as inherently genetically tribal beings that we are, the biggest fear for everyone is to not be able to be a part of the tribe, to be cut from the herd, to be ostracized, to be shamed away from being a part of that. So I look at that and I look at the things that happen about, I have to, I have to make myself throw up so I can be skinny so that I can look the right way. I have to, everything has to be right. I have to do, I have to get a hundred percent on all of my tests in school all of these things that are programmed to women, we don't do that to boys. No, we don't. They're allowed to and, wear whatever they want and nobody says anything. And I don't know. Yeah. And and I look at that and then I look at the, the wider thing that's happening now in the world, especially in this country of people trying to now regret. I see it as they're trying to regress back to a time in the 50s or the 60s where women did not have control of their lives. They did not even have control of their bodies per se. Mm-hmm. That th- the people think if we go back to that simpler time and try and stuff that genie back into the bottle, that we can go back to a better time that makes it easier for white men. And I'm all done making it easy for white men. <laughs> and so I look at that and and hearing you talk about this and just the other people that I have come across in my life in speaking about things like this. And it's just about that whole thing. And you said the very important thing. You felt it was the only thing that you had control over in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I had no control over anything else. I know. I mean, you can only do so much with your grades. You can only do so much with who likes you, who doesn't, you know, it's, but this was my best friend. I remember writing stories about my eating disorder and I had this one, I can't find it, but it was about a plastic bag. And I said, my relationship became with this plastic bag for years because I would take it into the shower. I would take it into the bathroom. I would take it anywhere I needed to, to binge and purge. And then I would just go throw it in the trash. And I felt like that was my best, it was my best friend. And I know that sounds so ridiculous. And if anyone's listening. No, it doesn't. And I wish I could find this story that I had written about it, but it was on a, on a blog 
somewhere and I think I deleted it years ago, but I just remember carrying it around. I always had one and it just became like this relationship between it was never going to leave me and I could do whatever I wanted with it. I could put insights into it and it was never going to judge me because I felt like it always opened up for me. You know, the bag was always there. It opened up. It let me just pour myself and then I could simply tie it up, throw it away. And I had so much control with that. And I think for years, that's why I didn't want to let my eating disorder go. It was like this transition because I had some friends in college who just one day woke me up and said, what is wrong with you? I remember sitting in front of the TV and they turned it off and I hated them. I hated these two girls at the time, which are my best friends and I love them and I understand them now why they did what they did. But they called me out and they just said, what is wrong with you? But I never went to therapy or did anything yet. It wasn't until grad school and I met a mom who had a daughter who was going to one of the um, rehab clinics down in Fort Lauderdale. And she was my full-time partner during all these um, therapy sessions we had to do and come up with in class. And so I became really close with her and, and talked with her and she just encouraged me to go get some help. And I finally did at that point, I, I went to a therapist and which only lasted a little while because I went in with an eating disorder and then she calls me depressed and then puts me on medication for that. And then oh, yeah, I come in here for depression. You know, even though they do kind of relate, I get it. But I was like, I have an eating disorder. I'm not depressed too. And it almost made me angry. But then I got put on medication. And I remember this one week, I was like high as a kite. It made me feel like I never had one negative thought. But then all of a sudden, at the end of that week, I dropped. And I was probably so close to suicide at that point. Like I, if I would have had something, I probably really would have done it. And How old were you? Um, I was, I think 20, let's see. It was about 2004, I would say, 2004, 2005. <laughs> How old was I then? Um, yeah, it was right before I left graduate school. I ended up quitting my therapist, quit the meds. I took myself off of them, did everything on my own, and I never went back to my psychologist again. I went and talked to my professor and just said, look, I can't handle this anymore. School's getting so difficult for me. And I was doing some field work at the point and working with families and children. And that was so unbelievably stressful. So I hear yeah. my own bad habits in my life and I couldn't control myself. I couldn't let alone control another family. So I left school and moved to Hawaii. But yeah, it just it's, it's, it's just this crazy, vicious cycle. And I don't know. But it was it was a big challenge for me to actually walk away from the eating disorder. I mean, it's never like you're it's really gone. It's it's some part always lives in your heart because it's the memories and it's a part of who I was for so many years. But I can honestly say that like for nine years now I've been in the best space. And that was because I had my son and the last thing I wanted to do was hurt this newborn baby in my tummy. Right. You know, and uh, I remember looking in the mirror and I just said, I have to stop. I said, I can't kill this little baby that's in my life. And he just, he changed me. You know, I thought yoga healed me. And I thought it was yoga that gave me a new opportunity, but it was him. He came into my world and I was so excited to be pregnant and it wasn't planned. It was just something that happened. And Nick and I had been together about three years and I saw the look on Nick's face, how excited he was. And he was going to be a dad. And, I, and you were going to be a mom. And I was going to be a mom. And I said, the last thing I can do is purposely kill this baby. 
And I looked at myself and I said, you have to stop. You cannot do this binge purge anymore. And so I made it my priority. I made my son my priority. And that is what I started taking my control to, I think, is making sure I was healthy for him and mentally healthy, physically healthy. And, you know, doctor appointments were scary because I always just secretly back in my mind just was hoping and wishing that everything would turn out okay, that nothing would ever have been bad because of my eating disorder. And, but here he is, he's nine years old and he's an incredible, incredible little third grader. And he still to this day, I look at him and I'm like, because of you, I think I'm living, you know? Well, he gave you a purpose. A huge purpose. Yeah, he did. And I, I think that, you know, maybe that's what you were looking for all along was, while it may have been about control and and that you felt first off let me just thank you so much for sharing <laughs> you're welcome that that that's an incredible emotional thing for you to carry and to be willing to be able to share that in a public forum is incredibly courageous yeah thank you so thank you well i feel but, like it's part of i need to do that because there's so many women out there you know, that go through this and they never talk to anybody. And I know that secret. I know that feeling of being alone and not wanting anyone to find out because you are guilty. You feel like you're the worst person for caring. around. Like, it's almost like people with eating disorders have a disease. You can't touch them. You yeah. know, you push them away. They're gross. Why would they do that? They're stupid. And whatever else that I've been called before because of it. But, but what it is, is it is a scream out for help. Yeah. Yeah when people react to someone like that, that is struggling so hard to try and be seen and be heard and be accepted or loved or whatever it is that, that, that motivating emotion is for them. It's tragic when what they meet is people who continue to perpetuate that myth that they believe or those that don't take them seriously. And it happens so many times for young girls because that is the only space they have control. And if you think about the survival habits that we build in our childhood, you can grow up in a childhood where there you never suffer any like physical or really bad emotional trauma, but things happen in your family. You create patterns that are into your young mind is a survival function. It becomes a habit. So you take that and that goes on with you as you go on through your life until you sit down and realize that that's what happened. But the reality is, is that you had the fortitude and the resilience to be able to know even with a doctor who probably didn't really listen to you, who told you something else and put you on medication without actually really hearing what you had to say. Mm -hmm. And then you had to move to a space where you found that purpose, that impetus, what, whatever, however you want to give it some shape is that your son became that purpose for you to be able to love yourself and forgive yourself. And maybe it was masked in the beginning of, I have to do this for my son, but in the end, it also was having to do it for yourself. So yeah. that's, in, that's incredible 
to me that you were able to find that space and have this brilliant little nine-year-old boy in your life that brought you to a different space in your life that gave you the capacity to be able to heal yourself and to, for you to be able to continue on with your life and share these things. It's so important. That's the one of the big reasons why I do this podcast is because women sharing their stories, and I'll go back to what you said in the beginning. I have a simple life. It's, I don't have anything that's really that much of a big deal, but it is. Mm -hmm. right? The simplest thing can be the biggest thing. The simplest thing that you share could impact someone else so profoundly that it changes their life. Yeah, I've never and, had, that, but... and, and had you not shared, mm -hmm. had we not recorded this and put it up and someone hear that, that could be the difference between them finding the space to be able to heal themselves and go on and not. Yeah. So never tell yourself again that it's simple and you don't have anything important because it's so much more complex than simple. You may like to have your life be simple and that's fabulous and wonderful, but you are not simple. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, Nick would agree with you. <laughs> well, and, and none of us are. It's, it's really, no, really great that, that we want to keep our life as simplified as possible because then that's a whole lot less external shit that we've got coming in all day, every day. But it's, it's those things as you're talking about this and I'm listening to you and listening to the emotion in your voice that this was a turning point in your life that was so incredible that you gave yourself the permission to do it. Mm -hmm. And that you realized, you realized you have so much more control than you thought, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, that when you say, I didn't have any control over my grades, actually you did because you can always work a little harder, learn something different. It doesn't have to be that square peg round hole thing. You can figure out what it is that fuels your fire and learn something new. It's, you always have the capacity to learn something new. And that's one of the other things that I find with so many, especially girls and young girls is, you know, parents say, oh, I'm not good at math. And so as as another woman, they look at that and go, well, then I won't be good at math either kind of thing. So being able to change that narrative of having a growth mindset of, you know what, you didn't do that good on this test this time. So maybe we need to study a little harder next time, or maybe you need to sleep a little bit better or whatever it is. But instead of looking at it as a failure, it's a space to be able to leave room for growth. What do I need to do to be able to grow farther? And that's basically what you did as you transitioned from living the life that you'd been living and having that relationship with your plastic bag to actually being able to take that control back to be able to have yourself be so incredibly determined to bring this new life into the world and be as healthy as you could while you were doing it. Yeah. So I applaud you for that because that's yeah. incredible. Thank you. Yeah. So how much are you teaching these days in terms of your yoga? Very little. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like you don't have everything going on in your life. So I, I went from like teaching 16 plus, no, about 16 classes a week until I got pregnant with my daughter. And That's a lot of classes, mama. Yeah, I know, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I loved it. You know, my son had gotten older. He was... I could get around, he went to school, I could teach, I could work whenever I wanted. 
And then Hudson came along and granted, I mean, I love her. I love her to pieces and stuff, but now I'm back in that itch of like, I want to work more. I want to teach more. <laughs> I'm only teaching. I've been at the club, one of our clubs here since I started teaching back in 2012. When did I do it? Six. 2006, I started teaching. In my teacher training, a couple months later, I got one of my first jobs. And I'm still at that same gym. I do that twice a week. And then I'm out at one of our membership resorts. So it's called mm-hmm. Yo, And it's right before Four Seasons. And I've been out there now since 2007. And I just teach three classes out there on a Sunday. So like five classes a week are my permanent stable. Well, that's that's still a, a pretty nice little yoga class it rotation. Is. Yeah. <laughs> not well, and it's classes a week. But. Yeah, I know. Because I, but I just remember teaching so much all the way up through giving birth to my second daughter, and I did the same with my son too. I taught as much as I could, but you know, it just it is what it is right now. And when I start letting myself wish and oh man, I want to teach more, I have to reset and say, you know what, this is where I'm meant to be right now. This is my family. They're only little for so long, and. I, I see how fast they grow because I'm watching my son and now he's doing his own things and doesn't need mommy as much. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm still gonna kind of, you know, I sub here and there for people and I really do enjoy that when I can. Uh, it's just, it's what's in me. My mother was always a hard worker. She worked always. And if she went, left one job, she made sure she had another job to go to. And I think me and my sisters have kind of done the same. We always just, we were. That's just what we've done. Although, you know, this isn't like a full-time job. It's yoga. No, it doesn't matter. It's still important. It is very much so important. I won't, I will not decredit that because I love it or devalue it because I love it. It's been the best thing I've ever gotten the opportunity to do. And I mean, I've worked in an ice cream store. I've worked at our grocery stores and this by far just surpasses any job or anything I've done besides mom being a mom. So, so what is it about teaching yoga that gives you that sense of just feeling so full? What is it that fills your heart? I, when I look at these bodies that come into my space, it's no longer my space. It's like a space we create together. And I love seeing the different, the male, the female, the younger, the older, the, all the different sizes of bodies, uh, fitness levels. It just blows my mind how beautiful the body truly is. And I see that now I look at anyone and I've never, I have these eyes now that just look and I, I love the way they move. And one student might be in a headstand legs completely over. And then the other student next is just watching in awe because they're not quite there yet. And they're practicing, or maybe they never want to be in a headstand, but I look at these bodies and I'm absolutely blown away by how many of them I get to work with, whether it's yoga or fitness too. And, you know, fitness classes that I teach, I teach some pretty strenuous high intensity interval training classes and they, they're not easy. They are very challenging and people come in and they're like, Oh, hit training. I'm out. I I can't do this. I can't do this. And then maybe the next time they come in and they try it and they modify, but they fall in love with it. And I see the growth in their bodies and their strength and, I don't know. I guess the body is just this completely overwhelming, overwhelming, complicated, but yet extremely beautiful thing. And I love watching it on every different person. I really do. I, I just, I love listening to them breathe. That's like a huge one. Oh, yeah, I love me hearing too. the breath and 
And I love when couples come in and for yoga, especially when they lay down in Shavasana and they grab each other's hands, they close yep. their eyes. And I just, I start tearing up at the front of the room watching that. I'm like, Oh, you know, to me, well, special. I, I teach an um, older couple. So he's in his um, mid seventies. She's in her late sixties and I teach them in their home and she's got some rheumatoid arthritis and he's, he's got some body issues from an injury and he's also dealing with some encroaching dementia and they are two of my favorite people and they have their own little yoga room and he built this beautiful yoga wall and he took from my teacher who was my yoga mentor for many years. And so I see it as sort of like this, the circle comes together where I'm working with them, but they, they come together and every once in a while and, and they can be, you know, she, she takes the care of a lot of him, takes care of him a lot of the time. So sometimes there's a little snappy thing going on there, but all of a sudden I'll look up in warrior two and he's reached out to grab her fingers and, you know, just those little things that are mm -hmm. such simple things that, but are, that speak so much bigger volumes on, on what's going on. Exactly. And the thing, and the thing about the breathing, when the whole class starts breathing together, my God, it's this powerful wave that happens that I just feel so incredible to be able to be a part of it and to witness it. I mean, when you said that, it was just like, oh yeah, that's it for yeah. me. That, br that breath it's, is amazing. It's like a natural high that I've never experienced before. I mean, when they start breathing together and I, sometimes the students will say, thank you so much. And you know, all their like, how do you come up with your classes? And now oh, that was, you know, they compliment and do their thing. But I'm like, it's you guys. Like I walk in, I could have a class prepared if that's what I do. I typically don't. I, I go all natural. That's how I am. I walk in the, I might have one pose that I want to incorporate and then let everything, you know, go around it. But for the most part, I walk in with a blank sheet of paper, basically. I look at the students and we all pull together what the practice is going to be. It's, it's kind of interesting, but I love the way it's worked for me all these years. And because I've tried planning a class before, I can't remember shit on that paper. Like, <laughs> and then my whole brain is just sitting there thinking, what was the class? What was the next pose? And I said, that's not me. That's not yeah. me. I'd rather just go in and, but they tell me, you know, they'll, they'll compliment and be like, I just, wow, that was so powerful. I'm like, it's you guys. You don't realize yeah what you do for me as an instructor, you guys bring the energy. That's where it is right there. I it get, is. I tell them I get just as much energy from you Ooh, as yes. you get from me. And like you, you know, I started out in the beginning when I started teaching, cause I went through a quick teacher training cause I had a gym that wanted to hire me immediately. Okay. And so I started kind of plotting them out because I'd never taught yoga. So I thought, well, I'll just write them down and kind of give myself an overview. And I did that for a while. But, you know, after 17 years, if I can't teach on the fly, I got no business teaching yeah. yoga, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. But for me, it's all about the energy of the room when people walk through the doorway. It is. It's And, and, and I don't know if you notice it, but I can tell how the, 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 people change as they walk through the door, they come in through the door. And as they walk into that room, there's a subtle shift that happens. And 
almost like an excitement. Well, especially like I teach a Friday noontime class and this group, they let me do, I try out all kinds of different and new stuff. And we do a lot of functional movement pieces. And, you know, I ask them to push themselves outside of their traditional habits of motion and all of that. And it's like this thing, they walk through the door going, what's she going to make us do today? Oh, that's so <laughs> fun. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that to me is, that's the biggest part of the whole thing is that they show up and they're there and they trust me to go on that journey with them. And that's the, that whole piece is what you're talking about is they walk through the door, you go with what's in the room and it's them giving you the energy that gives you the creativity to push that class out for them so that they have that great experience. And I think that most students, students don't realize that, that they're just as important in terms of the class that we teach, then it's less about ego and it's more about what, what do I need to serve these students with today? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The ego better be out the door. And I learned that very quickly too, as an instructor where I thought it was all about the greatest poses or the AKA strong poses or the inversions. And when you realize not everybody can do what you can do, you better step off that space or that high horse and become them, you know, and I did. And that has been a huge turning point in my practice and a huge turning point as an instructor is, and that's what I think I've loved is, you know, bodies cannot all do the same things and to only give one pose or something and expect everybody to do that. And I have some students that don't want to invert. They can do it, but they don't want to. It's not for them. And, you know, for me to sit and say, oh, well, you really have to, would be a horrible thing. I mean, I would never want to go to some class and be told, which I have been, go to a class and be told exactly what to do on my mat in that kind of um, energy, you know? And it's like, you no. you do, you step out of your ego and I don't know, it's almost like I let go of everything I've ever been taught, let go of what I see on social media and yep. just, I don't know. I just love being in the class space because we build it together. And that is so important to me. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I could sit there and just watch. Sometimes the class is over and I'm like, do we have to go? Can you guys, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And- well, and, and I get a lot of people coming up to ask me questions about things after class. And so we yeah. have these great conversations, the old dancer in me, body placement and, you know, have your leg here and your foot here and your knee here and do blah, blah, you know, but now as I've gotten older, and after living my life as a full contact sport for so many years, <laughs> I have all of these broken bits and pieces that are speaking very loudly these days. Mm-hmm. And my body doesn't move the same. It doesn't feel the same. And so I've had to really be in that space of, you know, yoga is nothing if not a very humbling practice, right? Yeah. Oh, and yes. so I've, I've really, my teaching style now is so much around this is your practice. You walk around in that body 24 seven, you know, your body better than I do. So here's some guidelines for you. But what I want you to have is a conversation with your body while you're on the mat and be curious about what your body has to say to you. And if something doesn't feel good, then move till it does. Find I always say write your story. You know, it's like, write your story on your mat. Your mat is your paper. Your body is a great pen or your pencil. Yeah. And it's like, just let it come to life every single time you come to your mat. It doesn't have to be the same story. It can be completely different because, you know, we go through different things every day 
right? I, I thought about that for me. When I get to my mat, sometimes my brain is like, oh, you're going to practice this today. And as soon as I step on, that never happens. I'm like, lay there some days and I don't move for like 10 minutes. And that was my practice. You know, it yeah. change. Like you said, the body changes. And I'm starting to recognize that too. Like I cannot do a backbend like I used to. I used to never warm up. I would just pop into it, good to go. And now it's like, okay, I got to stretch this, stretch that, stretch this. I think I'm ready for a backbend now. <laughs> it just, well, I don't know. Yeah. I just love it. It's, it's, it's all about that conversation with your body and actually listening <laughs> to your body because your body has so much to tell you if you're paying fucking attention. A lot of times you, you have are to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, and no, so that's so that's my thing is like, you know, listen to what your body has to say. And here's the other thing. Let go of that expectation. Let mm -hmm. go of the expectation about what your practice should be, about what your practice was the last time you were on your mat, what you think your practice should look like, what you're seeing, what other people are doing, and actually just be present and witness to what is happening in the moment on your mat right now. Yeah, that's like my and, experience. I, I, I do the close your eyes during certain poses and don't open them and just go by feel like I yep. want you to pretend you've never looked at a yoga book, never been to a class before and just let your body feel its way into the posture or the pose or the asana, however you want to call it. And, and I'm like, that to me is so profound when you can close your eyes and actually feel what the hell is going on inside of you rather than just, okay, anybody can make a shape with their body. You know, but well, you know, and after you've done eight million down dogs and warrior twos and whatever else, there, there's yeah. there's there's more to it than that. There's so much more to it. With fitness in general, is the same way. I could do yeah. same push-ups every day, but they don't. You know, you got to change it. You got to fix it. Feel it a slightly different way, and it's like that's where something really comes to life and happens in fitness. Yeah. I think and in yoga, it's yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. It's very very cool. <laughs> I, I love it. I just love, I, I'm like, I, I teach tonight. I can't wait. Now I can't wait. To <laughs> yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and Aww. for making the time in your family life to be able to make this happen for us to sit down and talk. It was a, a space where I just wanted to kind of dig into what I was seeing happening on your Instagram and turned into so much more. And again, I thank you so much for bringing your vulnerability and your capacity to be able to share something that was filled with shame and guilt and to share it with other people. That yeah. is really, really big. And I well, so much appreciate you doing that. And I so appreciate you just giving me the space and the opportunity to do so and being a part of this conversation. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm very happy and we'll have to, we'll have to have another conversation. I think so. <laughs> I, I think it would be really great to get you and Aaron and uh, there's someone else I'm thinking about to come back on and to talk about yoga and to talk about eating disorders and to talk about some of the shame and the guilt that we feel from society, mm -hmm. et cetera, and to really get your input. Cause I think that's an incredible powerful and important conversation to have that we're not talking about. There are yeah. so many things that happen in women's lives every day that nobody talks about. We don't talk about aging. We don't talk about 
hormones. We don't talk about the fact that we're not allowed to get angry or to feel like we can push back or yeah. any of that. And those are the conversations that need to happen. And so I want to start making these little round tables where we've got- Yeah, you know, we're going to have to. Because <laughs> you yeah. mentioned the guilt and I'm like, I already think of, God, me and my mom friends always talk about how there's, we only are allowed to feel two things, guilt and love. That's it. Like women only can be guilty or full of love. And it's like, and Erin, I mean, I had the greatest pleasure of taking her practice, her class when I was in San Francisco a few years ago. Oh, You know, she's one that makes you just jump out of your skin. I mean, her classes are so profound. Amazing. Yes. I, I need to go down and visit her and go and take a class. I just, oh, I fell in it. I fell in love with her during that interview. We yeah. text each other back and forth regularly. And I just, she's an incredible human being. So no, I, she, that's she's what, the real that's deal too. She's exactly the way she is on social media is the way she was. Is who she is. Yeah. 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 She was, someone had recommended her classes when I was going there for a month and I wanted to just be in her space as much as I could. It was amazing. Yeah. The most. <laughs> well, that's amazing. great. Well, you yeah. know, what, I, I definitely need to bring you two together for a round table then. We'll, yeah. we'll work on making that happen. So Sounds wonderful. Again, thank you so much, Brooke. I so yeah. appreciate you and your time today. Thank you, Sherry. And enjoy your Monday. <laughs> I, I'll do my best. Okay.